Welcome to another episode of Rich in Relationship. And today is Martin Luther King Jr.'s birthday as we do this episode. Uh, you're probably listening to it later on. But in honor of Martin Luther King Jr., who I am a huge, huge fan of, we're going to talk about his six principles for nonviolent change. And these six principles have direct application to any kind of conflict. Like if you are in a marriage and you're fighting all the time, these principles have application. If you're getting divorced and you're trying to figure out how to move through it, these principles have even more application. If you're having trouble at work, these principles have application. So listen up because this is really good stuff. All right, so the six principles, we're gonna go over them in detail, but the quick version is number one, nonviolence is not for the faint of heart. Number two, nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. Number three, the goal of nonviolence is reconciliation. Number four, redemptive suffering holds transformational power. That sounds like not so good, but there's a lot of power in it. Number five, nonviolence pertains to physical acts and internal thoughts. That's about us. And number six, the universe is on the side of justice. All right, so let's start with numero uno. Nonviolence is not for the faint of heart. What does that mean? What it means is if we're in a conflict with our partner or we're getting divorced or at work or our neighbor, if we're in some kind of conflict, conflict naturally drives us to have fear, anger. We will naturally be looking for danger. Our amygdala is gonna be triggered. It's gonna be active. And in order to go on that nonviolent path, we're going to need to make a decision and not just make a decision, but we need to be willing to stick to that decision. <clears throat> by what I mean by sticking to that decision is if we suddenly are in some kind of negotiation with them and experience rage, we're going to need to stick with our decision to be nonviolent. Or if they go off on us and we feel triggered, and feel afraid and want to run away. We're going to need to stick with our decision. That's what it means. It's not for the faint of heart. Faint of heart would be people who, who are conflict avoidant or people who love to get into conflict very energetically. You know? And what Martin Luther King Jr. was promoting was to confront conflict with a different spirit. Right? And this is at the heart of this is creative conflict resolution, particularly when there has been, people have been positioned for a long time, which is really not unusual in relationships. So if you've got something going on with another person, the decision you're gonna to wanna to make is, I am not gonna engage in violent emotion, right? It's unlikely that you've been punching and hitting each other, though that does happen. What we're talking about here is violent emotion. A violent emotion would be rage, anger, blame, all that really good stuff, that juicy stuff that makes us go from zero to 60. All right, we're going to make a decision and we're going to stick to it. And part of that decision is going to be maybe we're going to engage in practices that are going to help us to stay with that decision. And it's proven that mindfulness, meditation, and prayer are ideal tools for managing 
violent emotion. Uh, a really simple prayer that you can use is uh, taken from 12-step programs. It's the serenity prayer. And the serenity prayer is God. So you don't have to say God. You could just say, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, courage to change the things I can, and the wisdom to know the difference. So in the face of somebody else's violent emotion, you might say, grant me the serenity to accept the things I cannot change, their violent emotion, courage to change the things I can, my own reaction to that violent emotion, and the wisdom to know the difference. And what happens when we enter into mindfulness meditation or prayer is it brings us to a more rational part of our brain. You know, when there's violent emotion is displayed, it tends to trigger our amygdala, which is our, not a thinking brain, it's a reactive brain. It's fight, flight, or play dead, basically. So practicing meditation or prayer or mindfulness, those are things that are gonna help you to stick with that decision that you're gonna engage in nonviolence, either emotionally or physically. All right, numero duo, numero duo, number number two, numero dos, is nonviolence seeks to defeat injustice, not people. And the basic principle here is what we are confronting when we're in a conflict with another person is a breach of justice or values being out of sync it's not about who they are but a better way god my mouth is not working today a better way to put this would be principles over personalities if somebody is saying something to us that we just don't agree with or that doesn't make sense to us it doesn't make them a bad person it doesn't make them stupid or it doesn't make them smarter than us either it doesn't make them a good person or us a bad person. It just means that we have our, our values are out of alignment for some reason. And so nonviolence, when we make a decision to be nonviolent, we're also making a decision that we're going to reserve judgment of others. We're going to focus instead on what are the central issues that both people are talking about. We're gonna take the me and the we out of it and look at what is the area of dispute if we were gonna think about it rationally, right? And that's sort of step two of, of making the decision is staying in this place of um, caring, calm, rational thought. Okay, step three, the goal of nonviolence is reconciliation. What does that mean for us here? <clears throat> Well, I can tell you a lot of the couples that I work with, the problems they come to me with are about both people want to win so badly, they don't actually want to reconcile. They come to me and they both have a position. Uh, they've made a judgment about one another's position. They've decided that they're right and the other person's wrong. And what they, a lot of times what they want is they want me to straighten the other person out. In fact, I've had couples who did not complete the process with me because one partner was in a position of greater power than the other and was disappointed in my ability to straighten that person out. And because that person was in a greater power, they pushed and leveraged to end the process rather than have that power, uh, that the, the dis disparity in power be resolved. 
or to reconcile their differences. So the goal of nonviolence is reconciliation. It could be reconciliation of a power disparity. It could be reconciliation of opposing views. It could be reconciliation of a value conflict. But what it's not about is it's not about no matter what you say, you're freaking wrong. You know, even if you apologize to me, that's just more evidence that you're wrong. It's not about that. And that is very often when we get into conflict, we see it in our widest society all the time. We see it in politics all the time, just beating on people and beating on people. And even when they agree to, to work with us on, a, on something, still hammering at them, right? So when we approach conflict with a spirit of reconciliation, we are approaching it with a willingness to see the other person's point of view, to experience the other person's point of view, and to share ours in a non-judgmental way. All right, let's move on to number four. This is really a tough one for a lot of people. Redemptive suffering holds transformational power, right? Who wants to suffer? Not me. I think uh, nobody wants to suffer. And at the same time, if somebody else in our presence is explosive or derisive of us, if they've taken a position and they're angry and they're maybe they're not following these principles of nonviolence, which is not unusual, right? If one, one person lives by these principles, the other one doesn't. What does that mean? It means that we have a choice either of engaging on their level or in essence, turning the other cheek. And so suffering in this context does not mean that the other person gets to torture us endlessly, to wail on us, to beat on us. It doesn't mean that. It, what it means is that when assaulted by other people's emotional violence, we deflect it to the best of our ability, which is a form of suffering actually. Many people are triggered by emotional violence uh, and rightly so. Uh, the suffering is in actually in managing our own triggers and putting our best foot forward regardless. The suffering is if when they throw out a barb or an insult, which is not unusual, that we choose to not be triggered, that we choose to, a part of us is gonna, you know, when somebody throws a barber and insult at you, a part of you wants to jump in and straighten them out. That's not true, that's not who I'm, how could you say that about me? So redemptive suffering is about being the bigger woman or the bigger man and just knowing, you know what? That barb isn't who I am, that isn't about me. The world is a mirror. If you're seeing that in me, there's something about that that you're seeing in yourself. It's about operating on a higher plane intellectually and emotionally. And in doing that, we transform the energy in that moment by not engaging in criticism, by not engaging in uh, destructive banter, by not engaging in emotional and violence, there's that's we hold the space for transformation and change. There's number one, transformation in us because we can grow above our the part of us that's reactive and live in a part of us that's that's win-win. So just get that 
um, the, all of those spaces exist at the same time. It's not that it's not that we're not having a reaction. We may have a very powerful reaction, but we're living in a, with our eyes on where we want to be. Where we want to be is to live in equanimity with with the other person, and we know that by engaging in violence, in violent emotion, in arguing on this way, that that we're not going to have that. And so, a part of us suffers the barbs and slings of ill repute from others in holding a transformational space, a space where having done that, and they see that we are not reactive, that maybe they can step up too, that they can emotionally move to higher space. They can emotionally move to the space where change happens. All right, principle five, nonviolence pertains to physical acts and internal thoughts. So the point of this is kind of where we, in the beginning, uh, I was talking about couples. Hopefully, I said, hopefully we're not wailing at each other. <clears throat> Nonviolence is not just about, I'm not going to go out and burn the flag. I'm not going to go out and uh, break windows. I'm not going to get into a fight and yell and scream at the person on the other side. It's also about what's happening on the inside. And that's sort of how did we, that came out of how did we show up in that redemptive suffering? Because on the inside, we're doing the heavy lifting. On the inside, we're doing the work. On the inside, we're choosing where we're gonna hang out emotionally. Uh, there, you know, on one level, we may feel like a victim when people are angry in our presence. On another level, we may be angry in response to them, which feels more empowering. On another level, we may be looking for ways that we can take their anger and turn it into a win for us. On the next level up, we may feel terrible for them that they're in so much pain and that they're angry and want to help them. The level above that, we want not only for us to win, but for them to win. So we're looking for a way through that. On the level above that, we feel personally connected to them and everyone around us in some way. And on the uppermost level, we are creative. We're taking all of our emotions and everything we're experiencing on those other six levels and we're creating something new. We're taking our passion and creating something new. So that's what internal thinking is about. It's about where am I hanging out? Am I hanging out in you know, uh, victimization, anger, uh, manipulation, um, rescuing the other person, win-win, connection to everyone, or passion and creativity. Yamara tapping all of that at once. And we get to choose. That's the thing is when we make a decision that we're gonna engage in nonviolence in any kind of disagreement, in any kind of conflict, we get to choose. It's personally empowering. And here's the last piece. The universe is on the side of justice. What does that mean? That sounds very woo woo. Uh, Martin Luther King Jr. very much believed that what goes around comes around, that it's not our job to make other people pay. But that doesn't mean that we don't ask for money when we've loaned people money. It means that when somebody's committed a wrong of some kind, that it's not our job to punish them. It's not our job to be the police. It's not our job, unless you are the police, or you are a judge to make them pay. It's, it's, we are gonna trust 
that what goes around comes around. We're going to trust that what people put out, they get back. We're going to trust in the inherent balance of the universe. Or if you'd like, we're going to trust that God is the ultimate arbiter of justice and that God will make sure that in the end, everyone is judged and everyone pays for what they put out or what they take. It's a faith and confidence that we don't have to. And there's something very liberating about that, right? Because in that, it's much easier to forgive someone if we're not worried about being right or wrong. It's much easier to forgive someone if we're not all wrapped up in fixing them. It's much easier to forgive someone if we're not worried about when are they going to get theirs. And forgiveness is a huge piece of creating reconciliation and resolution in a nonviolent way. We need to forgive them for their violent emotion. We need to forgive them for their missteps in the same way that we forgive ourselves, right? And the truth is we can't receive grace. We can't receive forgiveness if we don't know how to give it. And that's kind of the basis of um, the universe is on the side of justice. So there were also, I'm just gonna throw this in at the last minute. <clears throat> there were also, Martin Luther King Jr. had six steps to bring nonviolent change into fruition in, in your life. Six basic steps, and we're not going to go in depth in them, but I'm going to give them to you. This is like your added bonus. Your added bonus is uh, step one, gather information. So gathering information is, is you want to understand as much as possible about what the problem is, what the other person sees the problem is, what you see the problem as being, what the society sees the problem as being, what's the environment. Number two, you want to educate. Um, so educating others is not, by the way, it is not about saying to them, you idiot, this is how it is. It's about making sure that all the, that you all share the same information. Number three, you wanna remain committed. Number four, you wanna peacefully negotiate. So that means you're gonna use humor, you're gonna use grace, you're gonna use intelligence to foster solutions between yourself and the other person. Uh, you're going to take action peacefully. You're going to rely on the gentlest way of making your point of view evident. And last of all, you're going to reconcile. And reconciliation is about um, seeing eye to eye. It's about a give and take. It's about coming to agreement about values and how you're going to enact them and live them together. All right, so that's the six principles of nonviolence as applied to relationships. Uh, I can tell you that I've coached people who were divorcing or uh, in child disputes with their other partner and the other partner was very angry for one reason, maybe they are narcissistic, maybe they're alcoholic, or maybe they're raging. Um, I'll tell you a story, actually. 
there was a client of mine who I'm going to call Wendy. I've talked about Wendy before. And Wendy was very much afraid for herself and her son. And her husband, Mark, was incredibly angry and abusive and manipulative. Um, Wendy at one point realized that he was, it was even dangerous for their son, for her and Mark to be together, so that he, Mark would get so angry. Uh, and instead of attacking Mark, um, having him locked up or whatever, which she might've been within her rights to do if she'd stayed with him, it might, the level of violence might've been to that point. She moved out, she got a very high paying job, um, she filed for divorce and she negotiated divorce with Mark uh, and she dealt with him in a way, she found common ground with him. She found uh, values that they both shared. It turns out their child was the one thing they could both focus on in different ways, but she, by find, she found common ground with him by using these principles. She did not tell him the judgments she had about him. She set them aside. Instead, she explored commonalities and looked for a way that the two of them could co-parent this child in a way that felt safe for her uh, around the child. And so she had a very careful schedule set up um, with Mark. And she educated their child about how to deal with people who might have problems like anger, who might have problems like dishonesty, who might have problems like narcissism without ever outing Mark to their child, right? That was, this was like super high level. And this is like direct application of these of these six principles we were just talking about you know she made a decision right she it was she was not faint of heart she made a decision um she wanted to end the negative interactions that she was having with mark for the sake of their child even though he was often the one who was initiating it rather than uh, blame him she just removed herself from the algorithm Number three, she reconciled with him as best she could. It wasn't a perfect reconciliation. Reconciliation does not mean that you're in perfect agreement. It means that you have an understanding of how you're gonna move forward. <clears throat> she suffered, uh, redemptive suffering. She, you know, she suffered every time that their child came home and would act like Mark, she would call me and we would do a session together and talk about um, how could she go on knowing that the child was going to act like Mark at times. And, you know, I reassured her that as long as she was authentic and caring, that she, the child would always choose her way over Mark's way in the end. And he did. Um, she managed her own internal thinking and acts. She, you know, it, all very well, like nonviolence pertains to physical acts and internal thoughts. She was very careful about what she said and what she did, even when her thoughts were not in alignment with what reconciliation would look like. And she trusted that Mark would get his own and she made it work. And she is making it work with Mark and with their child to this day. So proud of Wendy. All right, that's all we have today, but uh, take those principles and work them. You know, the reason why they work is they're time tested and they're true and they work in any context. And as always, if you have any questions or comments, you can, wherever this is posted, you can comment on it or you can pose the question or you can reach out to me at rich at richinrelationship.com. I look forward to hearing from you.